Hello, everyone, and welcome to this supplemental edition of the Untitled Wrestling Show. And it's been a while since we've done one of these. Indeed. And there's the very obvious stained joke there, but you know what? It's no longer the early 2000s, and I don't think stained is much of a thing. I know, I know, nothing if not timely. This supplemental is based off of the GME Project Forums in their Greatest Matches is a result of 2021, their project to put together a Greatest Match list in 2021. And so we have picked matches off of this list to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting list because... I think it's a pretty good representation of what are generally like the canon matches, especially once you get to the top 20, top 30. But we picked from the other end, which are kind of people's personal favorites. And this list doesn't necessarily have the same swings as the cage match current top 100 or the inherent bias of like the 100 WWE matches you should see before you die put out by WWE. And it's just kind of an interesting all over the place list where it's still obviously built on personal like interests and based on our choices you can kind of see what a lot of the voters kind of gravitate towards but i think it's a pretty fair like if you watch these hundred matches you're going to find something interesting in each of them and we start off with number 95 shinobu kandori versus akira hokuto from all japan women's December 6th of 1993. So this is not the Dream Slam match, which is the big one and the one that I would generally basically say is, if not my like greatest match ever, like in that genuine top five rotation of like, you know, it might be number one depending on the day. And this is kind of the interesting one because it's, um, let's see, Dream Slam, I think, is April. So this is eight months later. Hokuto is vastly more, like, beaten down than she was at the point, and she's on the cusp, I think, of going out on injury for quite some time. And, like, this is kind of the finale of her best year. Because, like, 93 is pretty much widely regarded as if you want the year when she's the best in the world, this is the one you look at. And it's interesting to watch this in comparison, where the Dream Slam match is big and drama, and they brawl all over the building, and there's blood everywhere. And it's super, like, dramatic. This one is a much smaller and kind of tighter match, just without a lot of the spectacle of Dream Slam. Yeah, I really appreciated this match where there's frenetic moments and they let everything breathe. Like, there's the attempt at the arm bar, and it's really frenetic for those few seconds until there's a rope break. Or the sleeper, and how frenetic that was, and then rope break. That they let everything have its moment and let everything breathe, and then ratchet it up to a real high intensity and then bring it back down. And this one also kind of pays off that setup that you got a little bit in Dream Slam, but like Kandori is just dangerous and 
there are moments in this where she kind of plays with Hokuto and she pays for it. Like when she goes for the arm bar and then lets go um, just to show, hey, I could have done that, done it versus the Dream Slam, where that's a major part of the match. But she's also very much in kind of Terminator mode as this match ramps up, where she gets dropped with these nasty short power bombs and just kind of powers through them. And Hokuto has to get more and more desperate, whereas Kandori just gets more and more basic with strikes. And there's a moment near the end when she basically says, okay, I've got to just kind of shut her down. And she goes for this knee bar. And it's a really cool transition into the end of the match because once that happens, like she just kind of beats Hokuto until she can't get up. Like, the Terminator wins in this one, where Dream Slam, Hokuto manages to basically gut through the entire thing and have that desperate, desperate win at the end. In this one, she just ends up outgunned, and it's kind of a cool counterpoint to the whole thing. Yeah, this match was a lot of fun. It's certainly different than the Dream Slam match, but I really enjoyed the story that this one told in isolation and knowing the extra background, you certainly can, you know, put together those threads, but even in a vacuum by itself, this match was a lot of fun. The ending's kind of weird. And like, I think if you want to throw a major critique at it, like the whole ending sequence is set up by Kandori throwing this big uppercut that she just misses. <laughs> and like, it's fine because they immediately cut to Hokuto's like, crew on the outside just in tears at this point knowing what's coming but then you just get like one really good right cross a really awkward edit and then Kandori finishes her off with another uppercut and Hokuto just can't get up from that and number one I'd like to see what got edited out just because it's a really like hard cut and it's just like super obvious and I don't think it's necessary because even during like the end flurry, like it makes sense that not everything's going to land perfectly. It's it doesn't have to be clean. It's just kind of an unnecessary thing that kind of pulls me out, like right when it's getting into its most dramatic thing. Like I think this one's a clear step below Dream Slam, but it's still really good and it's really nice to watch them back to back. Or like within enough time that you remember one before you watch the other. We then go to number 91, Jun Akiyama versus Kenta Kobashi for the Triple Crown Championship in All Japan Pro Wrestling, July 24th, 1998. This is not the NOAA title match that we talked about before. No, this it's, is much earlier. It is. And like, I kind of think like 98 Akiyama is like still a young guy, but he's really not. At this point, he's been wrestling for six years and... And for a large part of this match, he's presented as the equal to Kobashi. Like, they're definitely not on par yet. It's not like something where you'd expect Akiyama to beat Kobashi, but this is a far cry from Akiyama is several levels below him. They're very much presented as, like, on par with each other here. And this match is something that I think really cements that fact for Akiyama. It's it's very much, it feels like a star-making singles match of putting over Akiyama so hard in this. 
Can I get my one complaint out of the way, like, early? Go for it. The first eight minutes of this match are just pointless. Like, they trade strikes and it doesn't lead to anything. They've got these really just, like, nothing chin locks where... Like, Akiyama doesn't seem to care, and Kobashi's not really struggling. And compared to some of the submission selling that Kobashi would do later in the match, it's super noticeable. But, like, they just kind of trade strikes. They trade elbows. Like, you've even got moments when Kobashi is, like, dumping Akiyama on his head, and there's just no real stakes to it. And then... Akiyama starts working the leg and the match just takes off and hits a totally different level. Like, I wish there would have been a little bit more in the beginning of this match because the last three-fourths of it are it just, like, awesome. Yeah. The champ, which is Kenta Kabashi, has his knee and thigh kind of wrapped up with some extra medical attention, some extra padding, extra wrap. And about 10 minutes in is when this shift happens as Akiyama starts targeting the knee. And you're absolutely right. This match just skyrockets in awesomeness. Yeah, and you've got like the big moments when Akiyama's working the uh, Scorpion Deathlock. Akiyama's got a couple of figure four moments that are really good. And the interesting thing to me, it's later in the match. Like I'm going to jump a lot as I talk about this one. But there's a figure for um, Akiyama has on Kobashi, and the crowd never thinks Kobashi is going to submit, but they absolutely bite every time that the referee counts two for Kobashi's shoulders being down. And it's really cool to be like, okay, look, Akiyama's not going to tap him out, but he might get this submission here because of the injury. Or sorry, he might get the pin because of the injury. And the crowd just goes from look, we like Kobashi to we need to rally behind Kobashi because Akiyama actually has a shot at this. Yeah, the attack on the knee is just so well done. Like, you get the dragon screw off the apron a little bit earlier. Like, it takes Kobashi a moment to actually be able to muscle him up for a powerbomb because of the injured knee the submissions and the way that the fans just completely start rallying behind with the very, very audible Kobashi, Kobashi. Like, it, the audience certainly just added to this match even more. And where you get the domination of Akiyama really attacking the knee, it's the slow accumulation of chops to the neck that seem to get the champion advantage for a little bit. Also, it chops to the forehead. <laughs> yep. That's just one of those incredible things that, like, you don't think about very often, but Kobashi basically just rears back and chops Akiyama square in the forehead. Kobashi escapes the wrist clutch exploder, and he escapes a regular exploder. Then we get the exploder a fighting spirit, and a big lariat before Kobashi again starts clutching his knee. And the crowd is so loud at this point that you really feel the drama build. You feel the uncertainty that this doesn't seem to be a sure 100% Kobashi is going to pull this one out. No, and I really like the way they use the fighting spirit in this one. This isn't, I'm going to dump you on your head, then you dump me on my head. 
it's got you've got the earlier moment um before the one you mentioned where Akiyama hits an exploder. Kobashi tries to kind of fighting spirit up, and Akiyama just hits this awesome like sliding drop kick right into the knee so he can hit another exploder. So when Kobashi's able to uh, kind of like power through the next one, it feels earned and it feels like, okay, he's taken something out of Akiyama now. And then you've also got the moment when Akiyama at the end tries to do the same thing. Like Kobashi's been throwing out the half Nelson suplexes throughout the match. And at the beginning, they don't matter. And they start building up more and more. And he hits one right at the end. And Akiyama tries firing up and charging it at him. But he just gets killed with a lariat when he does that. Like, you're just not on that level yet. But you gave Kobashi the fight that he needed there. Yeah, this one is so much fun to enjoy. And it's a, even in losing, it's a star making performance. Like it so, so makes Akiyama into this very, very major threat and really amplifies him in losing. And oh, so good. So, so good. And then we switch over to the blood and guts portion of our list. <laughs> so, Dom Matsumoto versus Chigusa Nagayo from All Japan. This is their first hair versus hair match from August 28th, 1985. And I will say, um, this is part of All Japan, or All AJW TV, and... I do kind of love the fact that you get the song and dance routine leading immediately into the blood feud, which is very much of its time. And also, maybe if NWA did that, I might actually want to watch them. So, I mean, think about it. Yeah, uh, a hat tip to a very awesome video that was done by Kim Justice about the Nagayo Matsumoto feud. And putting this match and the subsequent match they had, the other hair versus hair match, into a lot more context and doing a lot of discussion of early Joshi, AJW, and you know, seeing that the fact that the Crush Gals were very similar to an earlier duo called the Beauty Pair in that they got this cross content appeal with, you know, getting pop songs and putting out pop music and seeing that and how they built this feud and just how completely over as a heel Dump Matsumoto was <laughs> is phenomenal. And you get this really strong audience of girls and women in the crowd. There's ludicrously loud Chigusa Nagayo chants. And it appears that another member of the Atrocious Alliance is dressed up as Dump Matsumoto to, you know, just try to troll even further to not be in the match. But then the masked woman takes off her mask and outfit, and it's Dump Matsumoto who attacks right off the bat by posting Nagayo twice. And Nagayo is busted open. And it's during this moment I realize we need to watch more AJW. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a whole different thing. And this, I mean, let's be fair. Most AJW is not this feud, but this feud is one of those kind of unique things. And I think 
it really is because of that like emotional connection with the crowd. And this is one of those things where the crowd is living, like living and dying with Nagayo and they're in tears whenever she's in trouble. And that does a lot because this is a really kind of unique match in the sense that it doesn't feel like a pro wrestling match. Like we're going to talk about brawls that feel like pro wrestling matches like for the rest of the show. But this one, like this feels like a pull apart extended to 10 minutes because they're going to the outside and the seconds are getting involved. They're going back and forth, but there's not really that kind of flow. And like, it just feels messy in a good way. This is one of those things where, like, you just kind of have to watch it to experience what's going on. Yeah, this is, like, the ref getting involved and the guy who strikes. So you start to get, you know, the ref getting involved here a little bit and, you know, telling them to actually wrestle, but not really getting in the face of Dump Matsumoto when she's using the chain. And... Dump Matsumoto starts using more foreign objects, and then she hits the ref who's getting in the way because maybe maybe that's why he didn't get in the way because he knew he'd just get hit. Right. Well, she's got a pair of scissors and she jabs Nagoya on the face over and over with it. Then she stabs the referee a few times. We get the sharpshooter, the scorpion deathlock with the bloody face of Chigusa Nagayo putting the hold in. And she tries to cut the hair with the scissors during the match, and the ref has to stop that. And this is so intense. Like, you're just legitimately like, like I don't know if they're, like, this almost seems like, you know, they're, like, they're legitimately throwing live rounds. Like, they're actually going at it. Yeah, and the ending's got that, like, ugliness in kind of a perfect way, because Dump gets a hold of, I want to say it's a microphone, but the video gallery's not video quality's not great, but she's gonna start battering Chigusa with it. Then one of her partners hands in a table, and she just kind of grabs the table and runs at Chigusa with it, and just kind of awkwardly bounces off of Chigusa's leg. And then she grabs a chair and just kind of whacks Nagayo upside the head, and that's enough for the knockout. And it's a very abrupt ending, and it's a very just kind of Again, this is going to sound weird, but it's like an anti-climax in a good way because it's just like the fight is over because there's nothing she can do at that point. And then you've got the shots of the crowd crying. And you've got Lioness Asuka coming in trying to protect um, Nagayo and stop her from getting her head shaved and going at it with the referee because this is garbage. How could you have this be the finish? And like, this is only... I think including entrances, 15 minutes, like, beginning to end. But the entire thing is just this super high level of emotion. Yeah, and the fact that when the hair-shaving portion of this is taking place, they keep cutting back, and there are fans, like, more than one fan, like, legitimately screaming and crying that Nagayo is getting her head shaved. I'm going to make a weird comparison with this match. And I think and one of the biggest reasons is because it's just so different. And like the 86 hair match is more like a wrestling match and it's 
like I suppose you might say it's to technically a better match overall, like depending on your feelings in the day, but this one is just so unique and so raw that it um honestly it kind of feels to me, and this is gonna be a weird one, but like the Terry Funk Jerry Lawler um empty arena air quote match where it doesn't feel so much like a match as like an experience or an like a big angle that's all just kind of building to something more. And I, you recognize the greatness. You recognize that it's something like very worth checking out. And at the same time, it's not really what you would look at as like, the greatest professional wrestling match. It's more like this big moment than it is this, again, air quotes, great match. Yeah, it's a very interesting chapter in the overall story that they're going to have. And it's so worth watching, just as, like, this is something that was happening so, like, at this point, we're going on 95, 2005, 15... We're almost 40 years ago, and they're doing this stuff that stands up like modern day as, hey, you should definitely check this out. And also, hat tip, check out that video from Kim Justice about the Matsumoto Nagayo feud. Is It adds a whole lot more to watching this match, even in a vacuum. Like, watching this match in a vacuum is thoroughly entertaining. Watching it, having the additional context is so much more so. You also spoke of Terry Funk. We got Terry Funk versus Stan Hansen from All Japan, April 14th, 1983. This is one of the better one-man shows in professional wrestling. <laughs> because Terry Funk is just god-tier here. Everything he does is so good and like so much. This is why Terry Funk is regarded as one of the best ever because he takes this incredible beating from Hanson. Every like punch he takes, he does better. And like you kind of see stuff the wrestlers have taken from him. Like he does a lot of stuff that you see a guy like Eddie Kingston do now with this kind of like staggerous way selling. And you've got him just with the awesome desperation whenever he can, he's willing to go for that spinning toe hold, even if it's going to result in him getting punched in the face. And this is another one where the crowd is totally into it. And his goal is to make Stan Hansen like look like a monster. And he absolutely succeeds in that. Yeah, Stan Hansen looks like an absolute monster. And the the entrances, just how mobbed Terry Funk is going to the ring, that it was so difficult to just see him based on like the camera footage that they had. I was trying to figure out where he was. I'm like, oh, he's just so overwhelmed by people really, really wanting to see him. That's awesome. And... During this, there's some awesome looking chops and strikes and Funk dodging the lariats and continuing to go for the spinning toe hold. And you see the kind of franticness of Hansen, like desperately trying to get out of the hold every time he's put in it. And it does make Hansen look like an absolute monster. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think the issue is 
it's so much a funk show because Hansen doesn't necessarily bring what you'd expect from a Hansen match, especially Hansen a few years later when he'd have a lot more of his mannerisms and a lot more of the big personality. In this one, he's throwing good punches, he's throwing good stomps, he's throwing nasty chops, but he's just not really a personality, and he's never really... Like, I think part of it's just because, yeah, he's the monster, but he's also never really showing any sort of, like, danger, or if the goal was to be like, I'm never in danger from the spinning toehold because... It's an old man move. Why would I be? He never really shows any like derision, which you'd get a lot more of both of those from Hanson later once he kind of figured out how to work in the character to the wrestling. But this, it's kind of a weird thing because like I get why this is only like in the 70s for the greatest match ever thing. I get why people, who, even if you really like what Funk is doing, Hanson is just kind of. I don't want to say he could be anyone, but there's nothing like uniquely Hanson that you couldn't picture. Well, Johnny Ace could do the same thing in the early 90s, or you could put pretty much any big American guy in there and Terry Funk could still do the same thing and make them look awesome. And I think it's a testament to number one, just how good Terry Funk is that he's able to still kind of elevate this to great. And also just a nice reminder that Stan Hansen, even very young could do really good stuff, but he would become so much better as you've got the ending where the referee gets knocked out when um, Hansen kicks funk out of a spinning toehold attempt. Hansen just kind of grabs the strap, um, he wraps around Frunk's neck, he drags him around ringside for a while, and then he hangs him over the top rope, and you'd expect him to be kind of screaming, because you've got a head. Funk just laying there, bleeding everywhere, eyes bugging out of his head, just like the most vulnerable and desperate babyface in the world. And Hanson's choking him, but Hanson's not screaming, Hanson's not really even kind of stoic. He's just like, well, I'm doing this because it's what I do, and it's because this is what's next. And it's just like, man, I would have loved to see this funk versus, like, Hanson after just a few more years of seasoning under his belt. And then Dory Funk has to come out and make the save. Right, Dory comes out shirt and tie. <laughs> well, the Dory Funk always looks like he's coming straight from the office. Like, it's just who he is. Number 58, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers versus the Midnight Rockers, August 30th, 1986 from the AWA. And wow, those sunglasses were a relic of the late 80s and early 1990s. I mean, there are a lot of fashion choices that didn't make the jump. Early in this match, Shawn Michaels hits a super kick and gets a near fall. And it's like, eh, interesting to see. You just kind of see how things develop. This match is, again, very much like the Funk uh, Hanson match. Very much about Shawn Michaels taking an awesome beating and bleeding all over the place and making a great comeback. 
and Rosen Summers actually having that personality to kind of goad Margie Jannetty and kind of pick on him. But unlike Hanson Funk, this one kind of falls apart. Like, Sean is great. Doug Summers is great. Buddy Rose is great. I don't know what Marty Chinetti was thinking in this match because he makes the hot tag and then for whatever reason, he runs wild and there's a really good like moment of fire and then he gets taken to the outside. Jerry Martel interferes and the match falls off a cliff. Rose basically stomps him in the leg once. Marty is incapacitated. He starts bleeding. And I don't know from where. I want to say he was supposed to be opened up by some Doug Summers punches, but like it was never super clear. And then he just does this ridiculous, over-the-top kind of spinning around and flailing, and I'm blinded by my own blood and I don't know what I'm doing. And it's the most ridiculous, cartoonish thing that I have seen in wrestling in many years. And I don't get why it happened, because he immediately just starts getting beaten on again. Early in this, I loved Doug Summers mocking and not letting Michaels tag. Is just like, oh, oh, you were doing such a great job at being hateable right now. And as this match progresses, everybody goes ballistic at the hot tag to Marty Jannetty. And then... Jannetty also gets busted open. Now, see, I kind of like the swinging on instinct a little bit. Like, it didn't look too terribly bad. And, like, the fact that some of these stuff was missing, some of this stuff was, like, you know, like, he's on his last legs from, like, you know, taking a beating or having expended a whole bunch of energy. Yeah, but he hadn't. <laughs> I think that's the weirdest thing. Like, it's, you got kicked in the leg once, Marty. Maybe he gassed himself out on his offense. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, he's basically doing twirls at a certain point. The other weird thing about this is it's going to a double DQ. It's going to a no contest. And you usually figure that's because things get so wild they can't be contained. But basically, Rosen Summers, the dastardly jerks, just beat up the Rockers too badly and then decide they want to throw the referees around. Yeah, the first ref goes down, the second ref goes in and gets dumped. <laughs> and yeah, it's a D double DQ finish. Now, I appreciated some of the grittiness of it. Like, this is how you kind of do like a short level of bonkersness that's happening. Because things were still happening during the like during the post match, like they didn't ring the bell and everybody stopped. Like there was still fighting going on. And I like the grittiness and like there's even in some of the footage on one of the cameras, I don't know if you noticed, but like one of the cameras had like specks of blood on the lens, which just are not as good at cleaning it those days. It's just added a whole different level of grittiness to this where I'm just like, wow, this is kind of wild. Like, you know, and it's seemingly unexpected that they were going to have this level of brawl just based on that, you know that inadvertent thing that happened that just certainly added to the level of authenticity, I thought. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is just, it's definitely the middle chapter of the feud where, like, they hated each other already, but they weren't ready to do the title change, so you just kind of have to work towards the no contest. And 
Like, I just... It started so well, and everything from Sean, like, getting isolated and bleeding and basically taking that beating, and Rose and Summers just mocking him the whole time, to the very beginning of Marty's hot tag is great. And then they just kind of... It falls apart for me in a way that just... It doesn't live up to what came before. Like, they would have more matches. They've got the big cage match still coming. This one's just like... I understand why it's famous, because having this much bleeding on M- or sorry on ESPN in the 80s is going to be a big deal at the same time. Nah, it's not the Rockers-Rose Summers match I'd have picked. And our final pick, El Satanico versus El Dandy. Hair versus Hair from EMLL, December 14th, 1990. This was number 54. I feel like this is kind of the perfect match to end on because of the like other blood matches we watched. Like, Matsumoto Nagoyo isn't your traditional match, but it's got great emotion. It's got great like fighting. Funk versus Nagayo. Hanson. Nagayo, thank you. Uh, Hanson Funk is a really good like selling performance from funk and he's got like blood all over the place but hansen's not necessarily this dynamic villain whereas satanico will be and then rosen summers versus the rockers you've got a lot of good taunting you've got like the early sean part but it doesn't really come together to give the rockers any sort of big moment to pay off whereas this is just an awesome dirty lucha brawl and it's kind of the culmination for what you'd want a pro wrestling blood feud match to be and it's so dynamically different from what most american audiences saw from el dandy which is you know mid late 90s wcw and you know the the famous now famous internet meme who are you to doubt el dandy it's so dynamically different than that. And it starts off with Dandy just getting beaten on, getting into the ring and dumped into the floor head first and immediately bleeding. And the ref having to pull Satanico off. And you even see El Dandy starting to, you know, cheat a little bit too, as the ref is trying to break the hold El Dandy turns around and punches Satanico before the ref has like finished clearing him away. And the first fall goes to El Dandy as he hooks in La Magistral and gets the cradle pin. So clearly showing, you know, when it's more even that he's got the wrestling prowess to cleanly put a pinfall on his opponent. Yeah, and the first fall is really all about Satanico being a jerk and throwing, like, really nasty punches and headbutts and biting Dandy in the forehead and slamming him around. Like, Satanico is a jerk. I think that's kind of the clear thing. But Dandy still got that little bit of, yeah, well, I was a Rudo too, and I know how this game works. And as the match goes on, he kind of goes more and more back to that well. But in the first fall, he's able to get that clean roll-up pin, and he's able to kind of just, like, win by technique, even though he's been getting beaten on. 
second fall goes to the floor and there's some real gritty stuff in this like there's the headbutt into the chest to push him into the apron which was really innovative the boston crab variants on el dandy and he comes off the second rope and gets kicked in the chest which dandy yells was a low blow and the ref doesn't say anything. The ref's like, nope, no, it wasn't. I think it was. I think that's probably the one where it's like, yeah, that was definitely a low blow. Gory special. Yeah. Oh, it's important that Satanico gets away with it. Gory special into the pin, and Satanico gets the second fall. Yeah, and I like the moment where they're on the floor and the referee's like, they're not listening to me. So he grabs Dandy by the hair, and Satanico's like, cool and he just starts punching el dandy in the face and then el dandy's or the referee's like hang on how do we make sure that they know that i'm not cheating he goes over and he grabs satan he goes there too but el dandy's already laying on the ground so he can't get any revenge on that one this third that's why you need the third fall the third fall is all just like dirty fighting and punching and bleeding and dandy busts satanico open real early like by bouncing him off the ring post and then he's just vicious going for the cut and like this is when it totally breaks down into just i'm going to lay on the ground and dive on top of you just so i can bite you a little bit more yeah this is bowling shoe ugly and i enjoyed every last moment of it You've also got the moment when they are back in the ring and they're biting each other and they're kind of throwing shots from their knees, but Dandy gets up first. And Satanico hits another shot that, if it's not low, is definitely as close as you can get to being a low blow without hitting it. And he gets the DDT off of that. And you keep kind of building up like, Satanico is a jerk. Satanico is clearly the Rudo. He's vicious. He's brutal. He's willing to take whatever shortcut he can. But Dandy's also got that edge because he keeps biting and he keeps kind of doing what he can to stay even. Even as, as the third fall goes on, he takes more and more and more of a beating. Dandy misses the Vader bomb and... We get the pendulum, and then we get that countered into a rowboat. Lamaji Stral, the callback to the first fall, gets countered. We get a bow and arrow by El Dandy. Satanico gets some near fall sequences. We get a ref bump on an Irish whip. And then El Dandy yells about being fouled and does a, ow, he fouled me, and starts, you know, rolling around in pain and the referee who was outside the ring due to the ref bump calls what he doesn't see and gives the third fall to El Dandy. It's a nice payoff to all of these stuff previously where those things hadn't been called. I like how Satanica was justifiably like mad about this, but then he also just has that one moment where he just kind of grudgingly is like, All right, you got me, but I'm going to kill you next time. Your mileage may vary on the ending. Like, I get what they were going for. I get that, like, when it happened, like, Satanico was on enough of a roll that, yeah, Dandy's probably desperate enough. 
I don't really understand why the referee, after like multiple times in the match, being like, he didn't actually give you a low blow, decided, no, no, this time he gave you a low blow. <laughs> like, there's a little bit of a jump there from the referee, which I, I don't know that it works entirely, but I think as an ending that satisfies the crowd, gets El Dandy a win, keeps Satanico looking like strong and dominant, even if he's going to get his head shaved. I think it works for their purposes, but I really think the match is worth seeing for everything that leads up to it. Like, I feel like knowing the ending actually helps in this case because you kind of steal yourself for it because everything before it is awesome. Like, this is just a great fight for the, honestly, probably about 25, 30 minutes before the kind of unusual ending. Yeah, it's an unusual ending. Everything, though, in this was a lot of fun to watch. It's, it is, you know, like, you're not going to see, you know, all the things that you might normally expect of, you know, rope walks and, like, that sort of lucha. Like, this is a, we dislike each other, we are going to go at it. All right, this is a proper bloody up West match. This is very much, I hate you, and I want you to get your head shaved, and I'm going to make you bleed until that happens. Well, that ends this supplemental episode. So we will be talking to you all again soon.